What's going on guys? Welcome to episode 4 of Dime Dropper and part 2 of Who's the Goat. Before we get started, remember to follow us on social media at Dime Dropper Pod on Twitter and Instagram, as well as subscribe to us on YouTube at Dime Dropper Podcast. Also, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. I got a lot of great feedback from part 1. I want to hear everything you guys say about part 2. Just remember, I don't mean to be bashing LeBron in certain parts of this one or like I did in the 2011 segment of our last one. This is not out of bias. There's a reason why I'm saying these things. My favorite bull of all time is Scottie Pippen, not even Michael Jordan. So just know that if you think I'm being biased or too harsh. So now Jordan takes a break and retires from baseball, which gives LeBron a little chance to catch up. And this is where a lot of people say, look what Scottie Pippen did without Michael Jordan. Well, there's also some things you're forgetting. Tony Kukoc was added to the team this year. Steve Kerr was added to the team this year. Bill Wennington was added to the team this year. The, the Bulls, Scottie Pippen is a great leader. He gets everyone involved, as you saw in the last dance. But they played that Knicks team in the second round, and they couldn't beat them without Mike. Huh. And that Knicks team finally got their lucky break. They get to the finals and are one game away from winning the whole damn thing. They lose game seven in Houston. And that tells you, though, how close that Knicks team was to winning a championship when Michael Jordan was not in the league. So, you know, now we go to LeBron. He comes off winning the ring, maybe like 92 Jordan style, and it was. 27 wins in a row, 66-16, and 16, an amazing season for LeBron, arguably his best ever, shooting an insane 56% with the normal stats. And then he obviously goes to the playoffs. They beat a grueling Brandon Jennings and Monte Ellis in the first round. And then they play another great, tough series against the all-time Joakim Noah and Luol Deng. And then they get to the conference finals and play Paul George, who's the best player, that averaged 18 points a game. And they are pushed to the brink to the seventh game. Now, am I saying that Indiana team wasn't good? Of course not. They were solid. But look what they're compar- what we're comparing them to. But everybody acts like that Indiana team was good because you watch them play, you fucking morons. Anyway, LeBron gets to the finals and plays San Antonio, and we all know what happens next. LeBron was not great in the games they lost, but ultimately Ray Allen was able to hit a big three. Now, I'm not just going to say Ray Allen bailed out LeBron because who made that comeback? LeBron. When his headman got knocked off, he went different mode. And in Game 7, he was fantastic and hit a huge shot in game seven to put him up four. And that was when LeBron was kind of at his peak here. Like his, of like, seems like his career is going perfectly. Two rings in a row. Now he's starting to close the gap. In 1995, the Bulls obviously struggled without, without Mike, as you saw in the last dance, because they lost Horace Grant. So Scotty is even struggling to make the playoffs without Jordan. For all you guys that say, you know, what is, what is he doing without Jordan? Or he's looking at what he's doing without Jordan. Without Horace Grant, that team takes a big dip. And then, of course, Mike comes back. And we're not going to excuse that he lost to Orlando. He lost. He lost. He also lost with a fight. He also didn't play a full season. But he lost. And now we go to 2013-14 Braun. It's time for a three-peat. It's time to put your name with the greats. Classic LeBron stat line, 27-7-6. and And I think as a LeBron fan, what I noticed this year is this is when he started his whole... I'm going to take it a little bit easy in the regular season, and then in the playoffs, I'm really going to save myself for playoff brawn. Well, let's talk about the first-round matchup against the incredibly hard Charlotte Bobcats. Sweep. And then the second round against the tough, the terrible. <laughs> I don't even know who they played. Probably, oh, I, it was the um, it was the Nets. Oh, the Nets with 80-year-old Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Darren Williams. That they beat in five. And then they go to the conference finals. 
and play against the Indiana Pacers again, who they beat pretty handedly in six games now that they have Bosch back for the whole thing. So now they get their rematch against San Antonio. And this is one of the biggest parts of my argument, guys. As a LeBron fan, you look at the stats, you see that LeBron averaged 28 and 7 on 55% shooting, and you think he had a good series and no one else helped him. That's how I looked at it back in the day. But that's because I was LeBron's fan. I didn't see it without that lens. Let's talk for a second. In the first two games, LeBron played great. They come out of the series one and one, and they do exactly what they need to do. They get home court advantage going back to Miami. In game three, LeBron starts the first quarter in attack mode. 14 points, right? For the rest of the game, he only scored seven points. There's no, and I'm telling you right now, they came out with no intensity on defense at all. But they're going, they went down by 20, right? And in the third quarter, they make a run with LeBron on the bench with D-Wade and Bosh in the game. And this is reflective, and I'm not a big plus-minus guy, but it reflects my argument here because I saw this game just now, a couple weeks ago. LeBron, minus 21 plus-minus, the worst on his entire team. Dwayne Wade was the only player that played 30 minutes or more in that game and was under minus 10 because they made the run when LeBron was out of the game. So the fourth quarter starts, and the Heat are down by 10. The crowd's going crazy. Ray Allen started to hit some threes. They got Seven Nation Army banging at the AAA. What does LeBron do in the fourth quarter when it's time for the best player that's just come off the bench to take over? Two turnovers and a missed shot. But his stat line looks good because he's 9 of 14 with 22 points. And you all want to blame his supporting cast. If his supporting cast is so shitty, you got to drop 30, especially when the Spurs are that good. But no, we're going to make excuses for him more. Game four, LeBron comes out no sense of urgency from the whole team in a 2-1 situation where if you lose this game, you're pretty much done. And I'm going to say D-Wade played like shit. Chris Bosh played like pretty much shit. LeBron didn't play no better though, and he's the best player in the NBA. Nine points at halftime. He played well in the second half. He had a good third quarter. But at that point, like it's solid. But like, you know, you got to start out with a little more intensity here. You're losing. So now we go to game five. And he played pretty solid. You see, guys, 32 points is not the same as 32 points. When you score four points in garbage time when you're down 20 already, it means nothing. As a point to when you score four with the game on the line. LeBron, he loves to have his stats. Like, he loves to keep his efficiency. He loves to, you know, dribble and waste time off the shot clock and wait. Like, you know, something I noticed about LeBron is a lot of times... He doesn't keep the defense honest at all. He kind of just dribbles in place and waits for everyone to load up on him because he gets so much attention as it is and passes to his shooters for like late, like closely, like late contested threes by the defense, which is if you're the Spurs, exactly what you want him to do is give up the ball. But before he even makes his move, which he does so many times hunting for assists. Michael Jordan, on the other hand, keeps keeps the defense honest by trying to attack. So when you guys say LeBron was not at fault for 2014, that's a load of bullshit. I watched the series. That's not what the best player does. That's not what Michael Jordan did. Because Michael Jordan pushed himself to great lengths to get over the finish line. Something LeBron does not do. And if you listen to the commentators, Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson, they say it in the series as well. But now, the biggest thing. How do they respond to defeat? Well, Michael Jordan responded with 82 games played, 72-10, and 10, the best record of all time. Of course, they get Dennis Rodman, let's not forget. The classic 35-5 and 5 stat line, another MVP. And of course, the Eastern Conference, again, has seven teams over 46 wins. He plays Alonzo Mourning, 
And Tim Hardaway, he plays the Knicks again. And then, of course, the rematch against the Magic. And he sweeps them. Now, I'm going to be fair. Horace Grant missed every game after game one. But even with Horace Grant playing in game one, they lost by 30. And had he played, maybe they could have gotten a game. But Mike was on a mission. And that brings us to another point about this team. Everyone says his team was loaded with stars. Well, Dennis Rodman wasn't an all-star any of the years he played on this Bulls team, was he? But Rodman, we all know, has an all-star impact. So if you want to say I'm not being fair to LeBron, oh, trust me, I'm being fair. Because if I didn't want to, I could say that he only won with Pippen as an all-star. He was the only all-star, but that's a load of horseshit. 72 and 10. Let's talk about the, the Sonics, who struggled for so many years to get to the finals because their conference was so competitive. Notice every single team that Jordan played in the finals, he only played one time besides Utah because there was so much parity and so many stars because the league was so spread out. Very similarly, similarly to what we have in today's present NBA, where it's like two stars on each team or something like that. Not this loaded bullshit. Anyway, the Sonics win 64 games. Gary Payton is the Defensive Player of the Year. He's the only point guard to ever do it. Sean Kemp, we, need, we don't even need to talk about because he's a multi-time All-Star. But let's talk about the other guys. Detlef Schrempf, who was a Sixth Man of the Year twice, was an All-Star three times on either side of this year. And then Hersey Hawkins, who was an All-Star one time, he averaged 20-plus for two years and was still averaging 15 to 96. Not to mention they still had Sam Perkins from that 91 Lakers team. But he didn't play anyone in the Finals. And then we saw that famous shot of him crying on the floor after because that's how miserable he made himself. He doesn't want to make himself comfortable like LeBron. He wants to make himself miserable to win. And that separates them. And you know what? I'm going to not lie to you again. His final stats dropped here, LeBron, Jordan. But do you know why it's irrelevant? Because he fucking won. Now, 2014-15. Now, you see, guys, LeBron, he's already lost this debate, but he doesn't know it yet. He doesn't know what's going to happen in a couple years, but he's already fucked up and he doesn't even know it. LeBron has a big decision here. Now, when I was a LeBron fan, I really loved this Heat team. I loved rooting for Dwayne Wade, even though he's, you know, declining. So is Bosch to an extent. Not really, though. I wanted LeBron to stay because this is the best chance for him to win. But then all of a sudden, LeBron chooses to go back to Cleveland. And this is when I say you have to look at it from not fucking revisionist history hindsight you have to look at it right at the moment. When LeBron went to Cleveland, I was actually like just happy because like the potential of him winning a championship in Cleveland, but I was really concerned that he was taking too big of a risk to go with a Kyrie Irving who had never, ever been to the playoffs yet, as opposed to Dwayne Wade. I don't care if he's declining. He's still Dwayne fucking Wade and Chris Bosh, and the San Antonio Spurs lost in the first round the following year to the Clippers. The Warriors, a young Warriors team would have been the Heat's opposition had he stayed. So when you guys say he wouldn't have won any more championships in Miami, I don't know about that because the East was still trash to the point where he could still get there no matter what team he went to. And when you guys say LeBron's never played for a good organization, he had it on the Heat. If he wanted to win long term, if winning was his number one priority above everything else, he would have stayed in Miami because Miami's a big market with a great organization that can give him great players with a great coach. Cleveland? Let's listen to an article by Slate released right at this time. The only time the Cavs were good in recent memory was when James was in town. And the only reason they got him was that they happened to be terrible in a year when LeBron went number one in the draft. This is a team that has done little right except be located in the same state where the best player of his generation was born. Which shows you how shitty of an organization they were. 
but LeBron wants to go there. You realize that LeBron doing this is a risk because if even one of the players leaves, it's going to be really hard to get another star in Cleveland. And I'm surprised he even got Cleve uh, Kevin Love to come over. And the reason that was was because Kevin Love was already in Minnesota. I know it was the trade for Andrew Wiggins, but he was already in Minnesota, so it doesn't really get much worse than that, really. I mean, I'd rather play with LeBron than people in Minnesota. Now, in LeBron's uh, like Sports Illustrated welcoming him back to Cleveland letter, he mentioned Deion Waiters and Tristan Thompson and Kyrie Irving, but he never mentioned Andrew Wiggins. I wonder why. Because he knew what was going on. He knew that he had a hand in getting Kevin Love to Cleveland. But because you guys want to say that the Heat were so bad immediately after, let me spit some facts at you. Wade still averaged 21 points the next year. Bosh still averaged 21 points the next year before the blood clots, which caused him to miss 38 games. But LeBron didn't know he was going to get blood clots. So in hindsight, it looks like LeBron made the right decision. Even with, you know what's funny is that even without Bosh, I still think they had a chance to beat that weak East. Because the number one seed that year was the Atlanta Hawks with Paul Millsap, Jeff Teague, Kyle Korver, and Al Horford. Are you kidding me, guys? Comparing that to what Jordan had to play? So... Wade missed 20 games. He actually missed more games in 2014, which is hilarious. And they didn't make the playoffs because of that. But Mario Chalmers averaged a career high. I wonder why. And then they picked off Hassan Whiteside off of waivers. And one of the big problems for the Heat the entire time LeBron was there is they had no inside presence, no real rim protection. Hassan Whiteside would have been picked off waivers the same way to run a little pick and roll action with Braun. That could have been an enticing scenario, right? But LeBron wanted to go take a risk with young Kyrie Irving. And somehow, they still made it to the finals because he played against... The only real test he had was against the Chicago team whose best player was Jimmy Butler. They still had, you know, Joe Keem and D. Rose who had come off his injuries at this point. And they beat him in six. That was a big shot LeBron hit. I think game four, big shot. And one thing you'll notice about LeBron is people want to say that he's not clutch. And what you'll respond to that is showing him all the playoff game winners he's made, including his percentage in shots under five seconds that he has a higher percentage than Jordan and Kobe. Well, let me break it to you fucking fools. The last shot of the game is not all that clutch is. It's how you take over the game in the last couple minutes. Have you noticed most of the game winners LeBron has had in the playoffs are when they inbound the ball with either like three seconds or left, the layup against Indiana, the jumper in the corner against Chicago, the shot against Orlando. Why? Because they're plays that the coach draws up for him because there's not that much pressure to think about anything. You just got to shoot it. If you make it, you make it. And if you miss it, you miss. And LeBron is a very good, you know, field goal percentage. He's got a good chance to make shots when he takes them. When he fucks up is when he has a decision and it's a live ball, you know, open play scenario. So... Nonetheless, they make it back to the finals. Kyrie gets hurt, Kevin Love gets hurt, and they lose to the Warriors. Would they have won if LeBron had played? I think so. But you know, he just got unlucky. He averaged unbelievable stats in the finals, 36, 13, and 8 on 40%. And if you're wondering, oh, by the way, Kyrie Irving is also another player alongside Mo Williams that I think LeBron helped in his career. He started averaging more points, and he really taught him how to win. Kevin Love, on the other hand, his average went from 26 to 16, and he became a spot up shooter. Once again, LeBron James putting people in boxes because now he's back in Cleveland and can control everything, which he likes to do. By the way, just so we're uh, being clear here, the first round team he played was a sub-500 team, the Boston Celtics, who had no business making the playoffs, and their starting lineup was Marcus Smart in his sophomore year, actually no, in his rookie year, Avery Bradley, Evan Turner, Jared Sullinger, and Tyler Zeller. So tell me what you think of that East.
Anyway, now we go to 96-97. We're almost done here, guys. Yay. Michael Jordan, 69 wins, 13 losses. The classic averages, 48% on the field. Six, six Eastern Conference teams with 54-plus wins. Six of them. 44 just to make the playoffs. That is called Western Conference right now. He had to play C-Webb in the first round, beat the brakes off him. And then a team with multiple All-Stars, Christian Leitner, actually an All-Star this year, Dikemi Mutombo, Defensive Player of the Year on that very year, and an All-Star. And of course, Steve Smith, probably the most well-known, oh, one of the most well-known of those, beat them. And then the conference finals played Alonzo Mourning and Tim Hardaway and beat them. And then, of course, beat the Jazz, who had only Karl Malone and Stockton. No. They also had Jeff Hornacek, who we mentioned earlier in 1992, averaged 20 points a game on 51, 44, and 89. He was almost 50, 40, 90, people. But, you know, he's not that good because, you know, Michael didn't really play anyone. And, of course, Jordan hits a game winner in game one, a finals buzzer beater, something LeBron has never done, and goes on to win the series in six after Steve Kerr makes his big shot. And now we get to 2015-16. This is when LeBron kept going with his coach killer stuff. Now, let me read you a quote. When James turned his attention to free agency after losing in the finals with the Miami Heat, James' representatives were surprised the Cavs had hired Blatt and hadn't waited to see if James would have input. Legiem. Within days of the start of the past season, James began expressing doubt that Blatt would work out as the Cavs' long-term answer. That was crystallized during a road trip to the West Coast in the second week of the season when James and Irving began a bit of a tug-of-war over control of the offense. Blatt seemed powerless to control them, and if he tried, it didn't work. Shortly thereafter, James changed his role in the Cavs' offense and began playing point guard while moving Irving off the ball. In conjunction with the move, the Cavs naturally started moving away from the Princeton sets Blatt had installed during the preseason. James nonchalantly told the media he didn't consult Blatt on the changes. No, I can do it on my own. I'm past those days where I have to ask. He wants to control every single aspect of the team from on the court to off. He doesn't want more help of people that can handle the ball. He just needs one guy like Wader Irving and everyone else spot of shooters. That's what he likes. And then... This is, this is what uh, they were saying about LeBron trying to get Tyron Lue to take over. Some, it, was an, it was like an 800-pound gorilla as the season moved on, one person involved with the team said. You could just see LeBron connecting to Lou and turning his back on David. And guess what? They added two more spot-up shooters, James Jones and Channing Frye. I wonder why. LeBron, 25-7-7, back up to 52%, waits for the playoffs to go playoff mode again. The East got a bit better. You actually had to get 44 wins to make it, but there were only two teams above 50 wins, which is a fucking joke. And D-Wade, just so we start keep talking about D-Wade because everybody acts like he was done after LeBron left, this year, D-Wade took over in the playoffs and took his team to the seventh game of the second round, one game away from playing against LeBron without Bosh. So that's how good D-Wade still was. So, of course, we get to the 2016 finals, which has been milked more than a fucking cow, and I'm going to explain why. Everyone only remembers what happened after LeBron went down 3-1. Let's talk about what happened before, because as a LeBron fan, oh, they lost 4-2 with Matthew Dellavedova and Tristan Thompson and Mozgov as their supporting cast. Now that they have Kyrie and Kevin Love back, they should really beat the Warriors, right? Wrong. The Warriors, who, like the Spurs, move the ball and never stick with anyone, beat the brakes off of them in the first two games, beating them by 15 in the first game. And LeBron's stat line, 23 points, 12 boards, 9 assists, 9 of 21 at 4 turnovers. 
23 points, huh? That's not going to get it done against a 73-9 team, is it? How about the second game where they lost by 33 points? 33. And he had 19 points and 7 turnovers. And you're telling me, I don't care what he won. You're telling me this is the best final series an individual's ever had? And then they go down 3-1. And then what happens? Draymond Green's suspension that LeBron, an altercation in which LeBron started, but the NBA said that Draymond, it was a repeat offense because he kicked Steven Adams in the nuts in the previous series, so Draymond got penalized, but LeBron didn't. You know, there's also a chance that the NBA did this so that the Cavs would have a better chance to extend their series, thus making more money for the league. Now, I'm not going to go into if Schmiffs, but LeBron and Kyrie, you could clearly tell in Game 5, that what the Warriors are missing. And when you say, oh my god, you're going to say Draymond Green is the reason they didn't win? He fucking sucks. Well, that means I just don't need to talk basketball with you, period, because I have a video planned out, like, in a couple of months about Draymond Green and how he's still so good. And in this series, Draymond Green was the real deal. Because this year, he was also an all-star, and he had Charles Barkley, who has been berating him the last couple of years, on camera when the All-Stars were announced, saying that he should have been an All-Star starter. So, LeBron and Kyrie each have 41 in Game 5. They do their thing in Game 6, and the momentum is back there. And then in Game 7, they win fair and square. We all know the rest because it's been milked like a fucking cow, obviously. Stephen Curry choked. But, Draymond Green, 32 points, 15 rebounds, 9 assists on 11 of 15 shooting. But no, he didn't mean anything when he, when he missed. The reason why I say it doesn't matter, though, because I do think the Warriors would have won 2016, but I also think the Cavs would have won 2015. So it goes both ways. It's 1-1. LeBron got his ring. An unbelievable ring. But what I hate is when people think that just because he came back from 3-1, like there wasn't a little bit of fishiness going on, just a little bit, that this makes him the greatest player ever. Like nobody's ever come back from 3-1. You know what's better than winning in Game 7? Winning in Game 4, sweep. That's what's better. That's showing dominance. Anyway, and this is when I have a big problem. When LeBron came out and said, that right there made me the best player in the world. Not even Michael Jordan has said he's the best player in the world because he respects who came before him. He said it constantly. But LeBron James has the audacity to say that. I'm going to play you guys a clip from Scottie Pippen, and I want you guys to listen to it because I agree wholeheartedly. My problem is more so with LeBron. If, if you are... The greatest player if people are saying you are the greatest player or if people are saying Michael Jordan is the greatest player why do you need to say it right Michael Jordan has never ever said he's the greatest player to ever play the game why he's respected all the other players before him so for LeBron to say that he's sort of pulling himself out of it because you can't say you're the greatest player. You have to allow your peers in the world to say that. That's all you need to hear. And I completely agree. Because that's ridiculous. And now we go to 98. Michael Jordan's last chance at a three-peat. The last dance. You all know what happens next. He plays without Pippen and still wins. For all those that say, you know, what can you do without Pippen? Obviously, it wasn't the playoffs. But he still proved that he can win games. He wins MVP again for the fifth time, gets the number one seed, plays a very good sniper, Glenn Rice, who was a three-point shooting champ and all-star game MVP average in 25 in the second round alongside Vladi Divac, beat them 4-1, as you saw. And then, of course, a very tough Pacers team with Reggie Miller, Mark Jackson, Rick Smith, who was an all-star one time and 
one of the better centers of his time, but constantly, you know, he, he it's a tough it's a tough to make the All Star team as a center. It's like being a point guard now back then. But even being a point guard then was tough to make the All Star team. And then there's Dale Davis, who was an All Star just one year after this, and then Antonio Davis, who was a double double machine as well, an All Star two years after this. But you know. Michael Jordan really didn't play anybody to get to the championship or to, you know, in his routes, of course. And, of course, Chris Mullen off the bench. Am I going to call him an all-star? No, because he was only averaging 11. But that guy was on the dream team just six years before, and he was coming off the bench, so you know what that experience can do. And then, of course, the final championship that Jordan plays, which will bring us to an end of Jordan's career. Now, before you act like the Jazz were trash, they came back this year with an even bigger vengeance. 60-plus wins again, this time, they had home court advantage. And listen to who they beat in the playoffs. Charles Barkley teamed up with Clyde Drexler and Hakeem Olajuwon in order to win a ring. So when you guys say that no one teamed up to beat LeBron, these people tried to team up to beat Jordan. The only difference was they were way out of their primes because in their primes, it wasn't in their culture to team up with each other. That wasn't a thing. That's not what Jordan did. He stayed with one team. And you know what he did? So the Jazz beat Hakeem, Chuck, and Drexler. And then 4-1 the 98 Spurs with rookie Tim Duncan and David Robinson, who would go on to win the championship the year after. And guess who they beat in the conference finals? Swept them. The Lakers, who had four All-Stars, more talented than the teams that ended up winning the championship. Obviously Shaq, obviously Kobe, Nick Van Exel, and Eddie Jones, who was an All-Star three consecutive years. But you guys don't know about Eddie Jones, right? The Jazz swept them. And then guess what Michael Jordan did? Beat him again. Because no matter who's in front of him, he beats their ass. Now, am I going to sit here and say that I think Jordan had better finals opponents than LeBron? No. But LeBron's route to get to the finals is pathetic. And at the end of the day, right now, I mean, I understand his career is still going. But, oh, he had more chances. And I'm going to get to that now. In 2016-17, so this is when I think LeBron really hit the peak of his career. Because... What I noticed after he won that 2016 championship was an even greater level of confidence. And once again, I realized the biggest flaw in my argument. Because do you know why I started to think LeBron may have been the GOAT even myself? It's because in 2017 and 18, I saw LeBron take his jumper to the next level. I saw him take his confidence to the next level. I saw him taking every little guy into the post when he got a switch. Taking every big guy off the dribble when he got a switch. Really, really putting his foot on the opponent's throat like Jordan did his whole career. But the problem is, one, it wasn't consistent, and two, LeBron had already dug his own grave. Remember when I said LeBron has already lost? Well, here's the thing. Not only is the Cavs' management so bad that they re-signed Tristan Thompson and made him the sixth highest paid forward in basketball, they re-signed J.R. Smith, but Kevin Durant chose to ruin the league by going to Golden State. Now, as a LeBron fan, I said, it's totally different. LeBron left Cleveland because he had no stars. Kevin Durant had Westbrook. Fair. But in Kevin Durant's mind, he is doing exactly what LeBron did, and that is play with players that he respects and fucks with to win a championship that has eluded him for so long. It doesn't matter what you think is the difference. Kevin Durant saw it the same, and if LeBron had never gone to Miami and teamed up with friends, this whole... And not to mention LeBron's just a buddy-buddy guy in general. I'm going to mention a big incident later that exemplifies that more than anything. And Michael Jordan is a freakish competitor, unlike LeBron. For Kevin Durant to do that and fuck LeBron's chances of winning rings, it's almost poetic because LeBron teamed up and Kevin Durant saw him celebrate in front of him 
in 2012. And to Durant's eyes, there's no difference. So LeBron may have played the most unfair team of all time, but he has himself to blame because you know what option he could have picked that could have prevented all of this? He could have gone to Chicago in 2010. Would his team have been better than Miami? No, but MVP Derrick Rose was just about to happen. Would he have won MVP with LeBron? Of course not. But you're telling me that team couldn't have won the East? Because I think they could have. And that could have changed the league completely. But guess what LeBron gets in 2017? Another spot-up shooter, one of the best of his generation, Kyle Korver. And let me just tell you how trash the East was this year. 53 games was the number one seed, and it was the year Isaiah Thomas was in MVP talks. Isaiah Thomas, with all due respect, I love, you know, he's a little guy. Bro's like struggling to get a contract in the league right now. That's the first seed that the Celtics were back then. I mean, are you kidding me? That's the East? LeBron, great stats again, 26, 8, and 9, 55%. And let me just tell you about something that happened this year. Now, you've noticed stats in the NBA have got, started to get inflated over the last couple of years because of the pace of the game and the amount of threes shot. To give you a statistic that proves this, in 2016, only six teams averaged more than 105 points a game. In 2017, half the league averaged over 105 points a game. It's because everyone's trying to copy the Warriors model. Just like in the 90s, the bad boys were the model of defensive physicality, and a lot of teams that came after them were defensive-minded. So another thing everybody talks about is now it's become a whole LeBron-Kawhi thing, and everybody gets on Kawhi for sitting out games. Well, guess who started it? Now, on November 16th of the 2016-17 season, right after LeBron came back from 3-1, after this is an article from Yahoo. After his heroic effort last night in the Cavaliers win against the Raptors, LeBron James will not go back-to-back tonight when the Cavs suit up against Indiana Pacers due to rest. But Kawhi is the one that started load management, right? (laughs) You idiots. Stop making excuses. And then, this is when I saw LeBron do something so uncharacteristic because LeBron was always someone that talked very highly of his teammates. And listen to what he said here in a press conference. I don't know what we got to offer. James told reporters Monday night after a pretty inexplicable Cavaliers loss to the Pelicans. I just know me, personally, I don't got no time to waste. I'll be 33 in the winter, and I ain't got no time to waste. That's what I'm talking about. It's like when you don't have bodies, it's tough. The fucking grind of the regular season. We're a top-heavy team. We have a top-heavy team. We top-heavy as shit. It's me, Kyrie, Kevin Love. It's top-heavy. We've got to figure it out. It's been a shitty 2017 so far. We need a fucking playmaker. I'm not saying you can just go find one, like you can go outside and see trees. Are you seriously throwing your teammates under the bus like that in front of the fucking national media? Like, what leader ever does that, dude? Are you kidding me? If you have a problem, go tell the front office you need a backup point guard. That was Darren Williams who they picked up. We need a playmaker on national television, bro? That's your leader? And of course, he breathes, he breezes through the East like there's no tomorrow playing against shitty teams like the Raptors and the Celtics, and Isaiah Thomas missed, like, the whole series, too. And then he gets his, the brakes beat off of him by the Warriors, who are the much better team. But the reason why I say I won't fault LeBron for this individually is because he showed a confidence that was way better than 2016, way better than 2015, and the numbers reflect that. 33-12-10 on 56% shooting. Yes, a 30-point triple-double in the finals. But once again, why is it not as good as Jordan? Because he lost. But look who he played! A product of the fucking philosophy that LeBron has put into the league of teaming up with your friends instead of staying competitive. Do you think that Michael Jordan was like, hey, Patrick Ewing, when they're on the dream team together, hey, Pat, you know, we're battling with each other a lot these days. I think if you come over to Chicago, though, we can like go 80 and 80 and 2. 
No, because he's a fucking competitor, not a fucking sellout. I'm just, I'm not saying LeBron's a sellout. That was harsh. I'm sorry if I'm being harsh on LeBron, guys, but you have to understand that to be compared to Michael Jordan, these are like cardinal sins, in my opinion, as a competitor. This is ridiculous. I hold myself, like, I'm not an NBA player, right? But anyone that's been around me knows I'm literally so hard to be around when, like, I lose anything. Like, I hate losing more than anything in the world. And one thing I love is winning. And to me, actions speak louder than words. LeBron can say that he wants to win all he wants, but his actions don't fully always reflect that, including his decisions to move teams. And now Kyrie Irving leaves to start next season. Kyrie Irving leaves. Scottie Pippen never left. Do you know why? Because Kyrie Irving knows that no matter what he does, even though he made the game-winning three to win the championship, LeBron's the one that gets all the credit. He wants to give himself credit. And Kyrie obviously is a bot himself, so I don't need to talk about that. But who did the, who did the, did the Cavs get to replace him? A 3-and-D guy, Jay Crowder. And how about two different, not spot-up shooters, playmakers, Derrick Rose and Dwayne Wade. Now, Derrick Rose didn't work out too well because he only averaged 10 points and missed a bunch of games because he was injured and contemplated stop, contemplated not playing basketball ever again. But you know what's funny about Derrick Rose? He went to Minnesota and in that same season averaged 14.5 efficient shooting in the playoffs. I wonder why he did better when he stopped playing with ball-dominant LeBron. And then we have Dwayne Wade, who randomly got traded. I thought it was going to be reuniting. I thought it was going to be reunited and it felt so good. D-Wade, LeBron again. But D-Wade gets shipped off to Cleveland. Why? So the Cavaliers can construct a team around him that's more fit for him. Jordan Clarkson, another guy that can spot up and shoot, maybe create a little bit off the bench. And George Hill, a point guard that it's fine with not creating and fine with not scoring. He just plays his role. But George Hill did far worse this season than he did the previous season. And now you see him with Milwaukee again, thriving off the bench. But with LeBron, he just happened to be shitty. Maybe because, you know, anyone that's played basketball knows that if you're constantly getting the ball and just catching and shooting, you're not getting into any rhythm. And that's why I think LeBron making players better is fucking overrated. My fr- uh, One of the people on Twitter... Uh, hoop guru 24 underscore 33 uh, is far worse in the LeBron hating category but he pointed this out to me that outside of the second best player on his teams everyone becomes a spot-up shooter and it's so true LeBron likes doing everything he likes it and that's not and what he didn't do it he was in Miami and he won more and with this 2018 Cavs team that he had it was his best individual season with an unbelievable playoff run that in my time watching basketball, I've never seen someone perform so well in the playoffs, but he struggled to beat a Victor Oladipo Pacers in games. He hit a game winner in game five. Once again, under three seconds, not a live play, but still very impressive. I'm not going to call LeBron not clutch. I'm just using that as an example that he, he likes situations where he's, it's not a live ball, like, you know, open play. It's off the timeout, you know, coach draws up my play. I shoot the ball. And, then the second round, he beats Toronto and completely destroys them. Oh, I think that was the conference finals, actually, if I'm not mistaken. Um, oh, yeah, it was the second round. And then he plays against, he had to go, an amazing Game 7 performance in TD Garden. 48 minutes played, unbelievable. But let's look at who he's beating. Jason Tatum is a rookie, and that's their best player. Now, they have the better overall team, but the best player won. And the reason being is because... Once again, LeBron had a team that fits around him so well that it maximizes his ability to do everything so well. And then they get to the finals. He plays unbelievably, has that incredible game one, the famous J.R. Smith, you know, looking like he was on Henny in the game for getting the score. LeBron averages 34, 8.5, and 10 on 53% shooting, but they get swept. To give you more context, Kevin Love, 19 and 11. But am I going to fault LeBron for this performance? No. 
The fact of the matter is, LeBron's philosophy came to bite him in the ass after LeBron became the best version of himself. But this is Charles Barkley after Game 4, because once again, we excuse LeBron's lack of effort because of his team not being good enough or him already being down 3-0. These are Charles Barkley's direct words after Game 4, and he has agreed to, and they agree on these points. Uh, Grant Hill and Chris Webber agreed on these points. Ready? I was so disappointed. His passiveness drained the rest of the energy out of the Cavaliers. He came out passing the ball. I wanted to see somebody fight to the finish. Him to come out and play like that with the game on the line, with the series on the line, and be so passive, you can just see it drain the energy out of the rest of the players because they fed off his body language. And it's so true. He finished with 7-12, great field goal percentage, with like 20 fucking points. That's disgraceful. If that's the last game you play in the Cavs uniform, I don't care that you've given them their one championship. Michael Jordan never quit. He never just gave up when the odds were stacked against him. Did LeBron quit when he was down 3-1? So why should he quit when he's down 3-0 just because they have a better team? At least put up a fucking fight. That's embarrassing and shambolic to call him the best player of all time when he's doing shit like that. And to continue with winning not being the number one priority, I guess maybe it is. He chooses to go to a Laker team that was literally rebuilding and hadn't been in the playoffs for six years because he knows, one, the lifestyle, as we talked about in the last podcast, and because he knows that they can get him good players because, like Miami, they're a big market, big city that can give him the guys. But you know what? He was playing fantastic before the injury, and then he didn't try after the injury after saying he was going playoff mode. I don't give a fuck if you look at the stats. I watched every game, and he did the same shit I've been talking about where he didn't take over the fourth quarter in games where Anthony Davis didn't play and the Memphis Grizzlies, who got John Moran in the draft for a reason because Mark Gasol had been traded and Mike Conley missed, like, the whole season. These are the teams that they lost to, and guess who made the playoffs over them? The Clippers, who had Lou Williams as our best player. Guess what? Because we tried harder and because Lou Williams took over games in the fourth, like LeBron didn't. And not only that, he tried to strong arm the organization into trading for Anthony Davis and just throwing out all the young guys, showing that he has, one, trying to completely change everything, let control, let GM, as we say, and that he doesn't give the young players a chance. Why is Lonzo doing better this season? Why is Brandon Ingram doing so much better this season? Huh. Players that are good with creating with the ball doing worse with LeBron. Huh. Just goes to show again, LeBron does not make players better unless they're spot-up shooters. He gets you more looks. He helps you win games. No question about it because he is the best shot creator to play basketball. I won't deny that. He can get you a good shot even if you have me and four other my friends on the court, to be honest. But Brandon Ingram has completely taken off this season. But what was the media narrative? What was the media narrative? He didn't know about, uh, he couldn't handle the pressure of playing with LeBron. First of all, playing for the Lakers is pressure in itself, mixed with LeBron. Yes, it's pressure. But another reason besides development, playing for a worse team, is because Brandon Ingram could have the ball and do his thing. And this is what pissed me off even more than playoff mode. Is LeBron James saying, if you want to play for this organization, if you want to play for this organization, you can't be block you have to block that outside noise. This is not the organization for you if you're thinking about that. Who the fuck are you to talk about what this organization is? You haven't been a Laker for that long. You're not Magic Johnson or Kobe, bro. Not for this franchise, you're not. So what the fuck you know about being a Laker? You know about being a great player. You don't know about no this organization, this and that. If anything, you're the one fucking up. Take some accountability, which he never does or at least doesn't do recently, and then this season. And the reason why I think he's been really good this season is because we always talk about that pass-first mentality. This season, somebody's on his team that scores more, that plays better defense, 
and that closes the games, especially at the foul line. That's Anthony Davis. One of the main reasons why LeBron is not amazing in the clutch is because he's always been best at going to the rim. But the reason why he doesn't go to the rim is because he's also not great at the line, which a lot of his late-game failures have come from missing clutch free throws. And that's why I think Anthony Davis is arguably the best player on the Lakers right now. And the uh, Bron stands will say, well, they do better with him off the court. Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They do way worse with LeBron off the court. He's like the highest net rating or whatever. Once again, goes back to the point where LeBron does everything because he's so good at creating shots that the team becomes dependent on him and they look like fish out of water when he comes out of the game because they don't know what they're doing because he does everything for them. And Anthony Davis is an exceptional player and LeBron's very lucky and I'm, I think LeBron's doing great this season because he's given himself, he's been more serious on the defensive end and he's embraced that, you know what, I can be a pass first guy, I'm the second scorer on this team. And now we have the whole Kawhi LeBron debate. And you look at this season when the Clippers have played the Lakers. Opening night, who played better? Kawhi. Who won? The Clippers. Christmas, who played better? Kawhi. Who won? The Clippers. And, oh, another thing about LeBron making constant fucking excuses. Do you know what he said after that game? Yeah, I injured my game after I got hit. I, injured, I got injured again after Patrick Beverly hit me with the screen. Like, you're going to make excuses after a regular season game, bro? Like, just take your L and walk home. Like, just, just come back next game, bro. You already have a better record than us. And that's not the first excuse he would make this season when he got 30-piece by the Celtics at TD Garden. But then he said, my routine was ruined because I had to go see my son play in Springfield. Come on, bro. You're supposed to be the best player of all time or the best player in the league, and you're making fucking excuses for regular season games where you play like trash? That's what your GOAT does? And then, to end this all off, after all that I've told you, LeBron James has played 80-plus games three times, Michael Jordan 11 times. The only thing LeBron has higher than Jordan are scoring, or I'm sorry, are totals because he has played more years. And even in those years, he has accomplished less of what means the most, and that is winning rings. He also has less MVPs and sometimes can't even figure out who he is on the court. And you know what proves his lack of competitiveness more than anything? Two things. One, that he was actively recruiting Kawhi Leonard to come to the Lakers last summer. And it's almost been one year since then. And let it be known that if Kawhi Leonard had come to the Lakers and built the new Warriors, a new super team that was undeniable, LeBron would have been eliminated from the GOAT conversation completely. So you better thank God that Kawhi chose the Clippers for that. Because now it's actually a competition who's going to win the championship. And if Kawhi had had the LeBron mentality of joining the Lakers and becoming unstoppable, then the league would suck right now. So all you guys should be on your knees of other teams thanking Kawhi for making the league fair again. And the most appalling thing of all, his first game in front of the Staples Center crowd, LeBron James, Chris Paul and Rajon Rondo got into a full-on fist fight, and he hugs his friend Chris Paul that plays for the other team. I'm sorry, but you can be friends off the court, but when it translates to your lack of competitiveness on the court, when you're grabbing your, not your teammate, a guy that plays on the other team, when you're trying to show, like, how much of a Laker you are to a franchise that's really not fucked with you for the most part of your career, and that's what you do, I'm sorry, bro. I don't even give a fuck if it's one of my best friends. I will, like, I will never, if they're on the other team, I don't give a shit what they're on. Like, we will, we will battle. Like, I don't really care. And that's me. I'm not even an NBA player. But that's what Jordan, you think Jordan or Kobe would be hugging somebody on the other team, even if they were friends? That's bullshit, man. That's ridiculous. So now to end it all off, let's listen to what his peers had to say about him. Old and new. Kevin Durant, Jordan, obviously at one, and now Iverson. I'm hearing a lot of people these days fronting like they have LeBron over Mike. 
First of all, I love LeBron. I have nothing but love for LeBron. That's the best player of this generation. One of the best ever. A great husband, a great father, a great role model, and it's even beyond that. But we're talking about Mike, okay? We're talking about Black Jesus himself. And I don't really have much more to say beyond that. Mike is the GOAT and is always going to be the GOAT. Ultimately, the nicest guy never wins. To me, you have to have a little bit of asshole in you, and Michael Jordan picked and chose that so well in a team environment. He created a confidence barrier that nobody could beat, and you heard what Jordan said. Don't ever, Michael Jordan never asked me to do something that he didn't fucking do. And LeBron, nah, he doesn't always lead by example. Not at all. Dennis Rodman waited on the GOAT debate, and he said, I don't know why y'all discuss the GOAT. I don't know why y'all talk about who the GOAT is. If Michael Jordan played in this NBA, he'd average 50. That was not even a voice recording. That was me trying my best to do Rodman's voice. But this is what Scottie Pippen said about the GOAT debate as well. The way LeBron James play, Michael Jordan was never asked to play that way because I took that away from him. I was the point forward. I was the facilitator. Michael Jordan is a scorer. He was a defender. He played the game as complete as LeBron James did when he needed to, but he was asked to score the basketball, and that's what he was great at. And there's no game that I would ever play in and pick LeBron James over Michael Jordan. No game. No game. So now you're just being Not if firm I'm trying to it. win. Not if I'm trying to win. Ladies and gentlemen, I think it's thoroughly disrespectful to say LeBron has surpassed Michael Jordan because of totals. At the end of the day, Michael Jordan has the highest per game scoring average in both the playoffs and of all time. And LeBron needs to win. Now, is this conversation over? Is the GOAT debate, can LeBron surpass him? I'd honestly leave that window open. A lot of people say it's fully shut because of all the reasons I just said. But you know what? I'll give him the benefit. And you know why I change? Everybody wants to ask why I change my opinion. It's because things happen in my life. I used to want to be at a period of time where I was trying to be the nicest person to everybody. And ultimately, it leaves you having more problems than you have, like, you really question yourself a lot and uh, you snap some. You can't just always be so nice. You get walked all over in life. You truly do. And the best thing I ever did was adjust that and pick my chance, pick my times when to be like blunt, when to meet shit at the source and when to be, you just don't want to be fake nice. And I think that's what LeBron tries too hard to be. At the end of the day, LeBron may be a better human than Michael Jordan. He probably is. He's an unbelievable off the court person. I think he's awesome. He's a great human. Is he better than Michael Jordan at basketball? Has he accomplished more? And there's this whole, I thought I had the fucking code cracked when I said, LeBron's a better player. Michael Jordan had the better legacy. There's a reason why he had that legacy. Confidence. Not just the eye test. Not just he's bigger, stronger, he can pass more. Because he was bigger, stronger, he can pass more in 2011. Ultimately, what did, Michael, what did LeBron lack that ended up getting him a championship? Confidence. And Michael Jordan had that from the beginning. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the GOAT debate. Or this one. If you want to come up with a better GOAT debate, like Michael Jordan versus Bill Russell, Michael Jordan versus Kareem, I would be more than happy to have that one. But this is the media trying to shove this fucking narrative in your brains, and you young kids are clinging onto it hook, line, and sinker. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, guys, but we weren't born when the best player was alive, ever happened. It just happened. You cannot help when you're born. We were not alive when Michael Jordan was playing. That's the simple facts of the matter, and because you want your GOAT to be in the area you watch so bad, grow up. And just research and look into it. But after listening to this, I don't think you have to because I already did it for you. As always, let me know what you think. I worked so hard on this one, guys. Let me know all your thoughts. Make sure to subscribe. Tell your friends. I'll see you next time in two weeks when we have a special guest on to talk all things Celtics the same way we did Lakers.